like the wind, unseen but present, moving and felt, like the seasons, changing at exactly the right time, like the pull of gravity that keeps me firmly planted to the ground beneath my feet, your faithfulness, the same yesterday, today, and forever, immovable, unshakable. Your love is steadfast and you keep every one of your promises. You will never leave and you never forsake the ones you love. You finish everything you start and never have you spoken a word in vain. As undeniable as the sun, rising day in and day out without fail, and just as certain as the setting of that same sun, you are faithful. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you in the house of the Lord today. 
We've all gathered here to honor our Lord Jesus Christ for all that he's done for us. He's been faithful to us, and great is that faithfulness. I hope you're here this morning because you have Christ Jesus in your life today. There's a little verse of Scripture, and this is the song, first song we'll sing. It's, Yet Not I. We're not here for us, but we're here to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, Yet not I, but Christ in me is the reason why we've gathered together. So let's, uh, let's uh, worship the Lord this morning. Let's start off, Yet Not I, But Christ in Me. Let's all stand, may we?
faithful has the lord been faithful to you this week today he's been faithful you may receive it thank you choir is going to sing a song right now it's called never once because never once does he walk away from us he says he will never leave us or forsake us i have a couple of scriptures i'd like to share with you today i'd like for you to even read them with me if you would please say this together the steadfast love of the lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
And then we have another one in Psalms 86. It says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He walks with us. He talks with us. He's with us together all to, at every moment of our life. Never once will he leave us. Listen to the words of the choir as they sing.
Father, we thank thee for the opportunity we have to gather here today. Lord, we thank thee for your faithfulness in spite of all our uh, struggles and our sin and everything else. Lord, you've been faithful to us. We praise you for your goodness and your blessing. Lord, we pray for those who are not able to be here with us this morning. We think especially of Paul Slack, Lord, that you would lift him up and that you'd raise him up, Lord, and bring him back to us. And, Lord, we pray for others that are not feeling well, that you would also watch over them as, at, at this time. And, Lord, I pray for Thad as he brings a message to us that you would speak through him to our hearts. Lord, we need your love and your mercy today and your conviction on our lives, and we just pray that you would continue to use him to speak to us. Lord, we thank thee for your many, many blessings that you bestowed upon us, and we pray now that you would continue to guide and direct us and bless us as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you, Brent. I'm going to have you guys do something for me because in reading a crowd like I have been doing this morning, you're tired for some reason, and I need you to stop that. Okay, right now, just stop being tired. I need you to stand up. Right now, stand up where you are and put your hands over your head. That's right. And say, hallelujah. hallelujah. All right, you can sit down there. There is a lot to rejoice about, and you know, we end up here on Sunday mornings, and sometimes, you know, you, let me just say this, I might not look the freshest, but you don't either, and so today is one of those days, I'm like, ooh, they look tired today, so uh, I got my work cut out for me. I found a slide that kind of uh, probably applies to a few of us at times. When we get home, the pastor wants us to smile in church, and then you have Mr. Stubborn, you know how I hate to try new things. So um, I would encourage you guys, there is so much to be joyful about, and uh, we serve a tremendous God, and I am looking forward to this morning. I hope you're ready for this morning as we finish the book of 2 Timothy. It's hard to believe that we're going to be done after today. But Lord willing, that will take place. We begin a new series next week uh, together, as you know, handling extraordinary days. We're doing life together, and this next month in August, we have five different speakers. It's going to be fantastic. Looking forward to listening to the other men as they prepare. I know that uh, Pastor John is with us next week, and uh, he, asked, he said last week, he said, I don't think I'm a pastor. Yeah, he is. He's a shepherd, and he's a great teacher. You're going to love listening to him. And then David Nichols is the following, or excuse me, I'm the following week, and then David Nichols is the 15th, and Dr. Hughley is the 22nd, and we finish with the Cajun steamer, <laughs> Mr. George Moran. So hope you're looking forward to our time together. It's kind of a unique approach, but I believe it's very, very biblical, so... Uh, we look forward to that time uh, together. I want you to turn with me to the last part of 2 Timothy, and let's read these verses, and then we will start together our lesson. We'll begin this morning in verse 14, chapter 4. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. 
At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prista and Aquila in the house of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Remember he had said that he was bringing the cloak. He's cold. He's in a dungeon. It's filthy. There's no telling what's going on down there. He said, make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, also Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord, this is such an incredible section of scripture. One that probably uh, many have passed over. I know in a lot of Bibles it has um, personal concerns or final words or whatever. And a lot of times we tend to skip those things. But wow, there's just so much here to consider. So I pray that you would help us this morning by your spirit to learn uh, more about you. And all this I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You know, the theme of Paul's life is stated for us. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And wouldn't it be great if all of us had that same mind as Christians. That to live is Christ, to die is gain. That our words would reflect that we belong to the Lord. Not once or twice a week, but all the time. That we just couldn't talk about the Lord enough. What's interesting to me is that. In this section of scripture, four times, there's a phrase that's used. Do you know what that phrase is? The Lord. The Lord. Four times in Paul's final eight verses, he uses the phrase, the Lord. A coincidence? I don't think so. It just reflects the fact to me as I read through this that Paul had a tremendous relationship and fellowship with his Lord. One that, to be quite honest, when you read through the scriptures, you kind of become envious of. You're like, wow, this guy just seemed to be totally focused on the Lord and all the time. It seems like he was just a man who was so convinced of the Lord that his language reflected that no matter where he was, whether he was free or whether he was in bonds. It was all about the Lord. And we say, wow. Wouldn't it be nice if our language would reflect that we just can't think enough about our Lord? Wouldn't that be nice if that on a daily basis our children would say, why are you talking about the Lord so much? Wouldn't that be nice? That took place. There's a lot to learn with final words Sometimes you look at final words and you're not quite sure what to make of it. 
What we have here in 2 Timothy is Paul's final words to Timothy. And in these final words, there's a lot to learn. But I want you to listen to some of... I found some quotes from famous people in their final words. Beethoven, in his last uh, breath, said, Friends, applaud. The comedy is over. I have to be honest with you. When I read some of these, I was like, what? What are you talking about? Winston Churchill said, I'm bored with it all. That's sad, isn't it? Joe DiMaggio, who, I don't know, the, the ones with gray hair is certainly going to know who Joe was. The ones that are younger may not know who Joe DiMaggio was. He was a great baseball player for the New York Yankees. His final words was, where I finally get to see Maryland again. Mm. Mm. By the way, that's Marilyn Monroe, in case you didn't know, younger ones. The younger ones will know who Steve Jobs was. You know what his final words were? And I didn't know what to make of this. Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Wouldn't you like to know what that was about? Paul's final words that we have recorded in the Bible are, The Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. Can I encourage us to think about today our life as it relates to the Lord? How much do we speak about the Lord? That's one of the questions that I want you to think through. How much do we speak about the Lord? And what will we say if we have opportunity to know that it's our final days? What will we say to our children, to our grandchildren? Will it be about the possessions that we have and about the accomplishments of our life? Or will it be be about the Lord? I mean, those are things to think about. And as you come to this section of Scripture, there are four things that Paul points out about the Lord. And it just like... I was just like, wow, this is so awesome. I want to investigate. So that's what I did. I could just read the last eight verses to you and say, all right, let's move on to another book. But that would not be doing this text justice at all. And so what we see in Paul's final words in this section are, first of all, he talks about the Lord's justice. His justice. In verses 14 and verse 15... He writes this, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. Certainly many would want to pass over this. This is not really an encouraging section, but you can't do that. What we find here is a wonderful attitude reflected in the life of of Paul. He begins by saying, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Well, who is this guy? What do we know about him? Well, we know he was a coppersmith. He worked with metals. That was the, that's the idea of the term there, coppersmith. He worked with metals. Do we know if this is the Alexander that's mentioned along with Demetrius in, in uh, Acts 19? Well, I kind of lean that way. Um, but it also could have been the one mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I don't think so. Because Timothy, as Paul writes to Timothy, he distinguishes him by saying he's a coppersmith. And Paul was upsetting Demetrius and the sale of these little idols that they were making. 
And I kind of think Acts 19 points to the fact that it may have indeed been the Alexander who was with Demetrius uh, in Ephesus and selling these little idols to people. Um, And Paul was coming around and he was sharing the gospel and it was upsetting the people and it was upsetting the business. He was costing Demetrius money. And so it may be very well that that's who he's talking about, but he he doesn't say it could just be a whole other Alexander that, that we don't know about. But he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Isn't it interesting that Paul does not get specific about the harm? He doesn't say, this is what he did to me. He just said he did me much harm. However, I would like to point out something to you that might help us in that. In verse 15, notice what it says in verse 15. Be on guard against him yourself, for he what? Vigorously opposed our teaching. That word opposed is the idea of face-to-face confrontation. You ever had that? Face-to-face confrontation with somebody? Anybody not had that yet in your life? That happens, and that's the picture here, is that Alexander the coppersmith was in the face of Paul. What was Paul doing? We know what Paul was doing because... The Bible tells us in verse 15 that he had vigorously, Alexander did, vigorously opposed his teaching. What's Paul teaching? He's teaching about Christ and the gospel. We're coming to a point in time where we will have opponents to the gospel of Christ. We already do, but maybe not face to face. But that's the issue here that Paul brings out in verse 15. And so... It may very well be that while we don't have the specifics of how he harmed Paul, we do know that he was in his face about Christianity and the gospel. And my friends, listen to me. That is right around the corner here. It's here somewhat, but it is going to be more and more intense. As you stand on the gospel, as you stand on the truth, then you're going to be confronted by people who say, that's a bunch of nonsense. There's more than one way to God. That's a bunch of nonsense, that whole marriage thing between a man and wife. It can be any way you want it to be. We are facing those things. They are in our culture. And by the way, they're not just in our culture, they're in our church culture. So how will we respond to the opposition that we face? So while Paul's not specific, he does give us a picture of that confrontation The second thing I noticed from these verses is that Paul leaves the problem to the Lord. (laughs) I love that. Because you know what I'm not good at doing at times? Leaving the problem with the Lord. But the Bible tells us here in verse 14, while Alexander the coppersmith did Paul much harm, what does he say? The Lord will what? Repay him. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. So he leaves the issue of Alexander in the hands of the Lord. The third thing I see here is that Paul warns Timothy about him. Obviously, Timothy would have known who Alexander the coppersmith was, and he warns him about him. And he says, hey, look, he vigorously opposed our teaching. And the fourth thing that I see here, which ties to the second observation, is that Paul doesn't have an attitude of retaliation. 
Many times when someone does something, what is the first thing that comes to our mind? Retaliation, retribution. I'm going to get them back. And listen, young people, you're going to grow in that. Because as a young person, you're going to be like, I'm going to get them back. I mean, that's just happening. You're young. I mean, I was the same way. That dude did this to me. I'm going to get that dude, right? I mean, that's just the truth. That's life. But as you get older in the Lord, hopefully we will take the position of Paul and leave that to the Lord and let him handle it. In fact, it's interesting if you go to the book of Romans, in chapter 12, Paul already deals with this subject. He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. (laughs) Now, listen, you're not going to like this section. I'm just going to flat out tell you. He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, look at this. If possible, so far as it depends on who? You. Uh Uh-oh, I don't want to be in this. Well, I'm sorry. (laughs) You're in it. I'm in it. Be at peace with some men. Is that what it says? Be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says who? Lord. And then he goes further into this. He doesn't just say, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. He says, I'm going to take it to a different level. And look what he says. But if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? Feed him. I'm not doing that. Well, that's what the Lord wants us to do. Right? So it says. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Yeah, but Thad, you don't know the enemy. Well, hey, the Lord does. Feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, I've had enemies in my life. I still do. (laughs) You know, it's one of those things. It's just the reality of it. I mean, I live with it. I know that. I I don't think, I wonder if I have enemies. Sure, I do. I have people who have a hatred for the fact that I stand behind the pulpit and preach the word. That is the reality of it. So how do I respond to that? Say, Lord, it's yours. And I'll say this. When I I have a face-to-face with people who I know have a disdain, I'll say, Lord, please help me to love that person through my actions. I do. And I've handed them things, and I've gave them things, the food and the water, the whole nine yards. I'll let the Lord deal with them. And you know what? In doing so, just like we're told here, when we serve in love, and that's what this is, the Bible tells us you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know what people tend to do when it comes to hard passages in the Bible? Let me find an out. You know what you're not going to find in Romans 12? An out. You know the context of Romans 12? 
in that section, this is how you live the Christian life. This is what you need to do, and this is what you don't need to do. So it's right there for us to consider. Well, I have a quote and a question. Here's the quote. This might seem like a weird quote, but it'll be all right. I like it, and I think that Paul would have liked it if he would have got to meet A.W. Tozer. As God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved at once. Does that make sense to you? See, if Christ is at the center, which he was for Paul, ah, the Lord will repay him. The Lord will deal with Alexander. I got better things to do. And he did. See, if, if Christ is at the center, if the Lord's in the center, then all these things that potentially one holds on to is, man, I got to deal with that. No. No. I'm going to leave it to the Lord. I'm going to leave it to him. <laughs> oh, man. So here's the question. Oh, bad. What's been our response toward our enemies? What's been that response? Hey, look, I've blown it several times. You ever blown it? I've blown it many times. I'm going to just stand right in front of you and tell you that. I have blown it many times. You know what's always got me in trouble? My mouth. You know, one of the things that uh, we ought to probably do is hold on to the wisdom of Scripture a little bit more. Um, and there's a verse. Lord, please help me find it. Well, it's in James, I know that. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Right? Thank you, Tommy. 119 of James. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's what we're talking about here. Because when we face people that are in opposition, usually it's quick to speak, slow to hear, and quick to anger. So James gives us some really good things to think about there. Well, so the first thing we run into in this section is the justice of the Lord. You know, people don't like to talk about that a whole lot. You ever notice that? Now, look, I'm all about balance. I don't think we just say, well, justice doesn't exist. We have to talk about it. And I'm not one of those that say, well, we have to talk about love all the time. Yeah, we need to talk about love. But there, we can't talk about love without talking about justice. You can't do that. It, it just doesn't work in Scripture. Um, because the Lord is just. And guess what? Do you know what we all have in common? You ready? All of us get to stand before the judge one day. There's an appointment for you and an appointment for me, and we won't be late. We'll be right on time. And I hope, for your sake, I know where I'm going to be. I'm going to stand before him at the Bema seat, but I'm not going to be judged to condemnation. Those who stand before him at the great white throne judgment, they'll forever be away from the presence of the Lord. Which one will you be at? Certainly something to consider. Second thing that Paul deals with here about the Lord is the Lord's faithfulness. His faithfulness. Woo, we sang a lot about that today. Listen, when I, last Sunday afternoon I was here and the choir was working on, on their song. Uh, what's that last little special y'all did? 
never once, you know, about he doesn't leave us and all. I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh, hallelujah. Because I was thinking, they're going to sing that next Sunday. And I came in here and Linda was at the piano and I said, Linda, are we singing that next Sunday? And she said, yes. I said, hallelujah. The Lord is faithful, guys. We can't say it enough. We're just saying, great is thy faithfulness. It's amazing how the Lord works all these things out. Look at verse 17. Or excuse me, verse 16. He says, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Now, I told you last week, and I know you have a good memory, so you probably remember, but typically at a trial in Rome, there were two uh, hearings. One was a preliminary hearing, and that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the preliminary hearing that he had. One man described, one historian described this appearance this way. I have to read this now. I wasn't going to read it till later, but oh well. He said, Paul would have been standing in a big room before the Roman tribunal, possibly even Nero, and many, many spectators. So that's the scene. Now I need you to get that in your minds because of what he says here. So he says that my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. Isn't it interesting that um, he doesn't mention them by name? I, I, I don't know. I'm one of those guys. I just find that interesting. He doesn't throw them under the bus. <laughs> I mean, how many times have you been thrown under the bus in your life? Um, he doesn't do that. In fact, he goes a, to a different level here that's really amazing. He says that my first defense, no one supported me. And, and for us, as we're reading this and looking back, we're going, well, why didn't those guys just stay, stay around? Hello? To be associated with the Apostle Paul and the gospel would have potentially cost whoever was there their life. I don't know. I mean, all of us would like to think, well, I'd have hung out with him. Remember last week we looked at the fact Luke was with him, but he said at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. And then look at this amazing attitude. May it not be counted against them. Oh my goodness. That is an accounting term. And it talks about the fact that Paul was not holding this against them and that he did not want this to be charged to the deficit for these people. <laughs> That's amazing. Right? Because we're thinking, hey, look, you're not supporting me. I'm getting back at you. That wasn't Paul's attitude at all. Does that sound like something familiar to you? Can I remind you of a couple of passages of Scripture? You remember when Stephen was being stoned? Now, listen to this. They went on stoning Stephen as he received, excuse me, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. <laughs> What's do you find that amazing? I find that amazing. Having said this, he fell asleep. And then you remember what our Lord said. From the cross. 
Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Those are amazing examples. We're building the case for the fact that we should not hold things against people. People are people. All of us, my friends, have deserted people at times when they needed us. Paul says, may it not be counted against them. I love that. And then there's this huge word here, the word but. He says, but. While that's true, the Lord stood with me. That word stood there is literally a picture of a person person standing right next to you. That's the picture Paul had in his mind. The Lord's right here with me. Now remember, he's talking about being at his preliminary trial. He's talking about the events. He said, everyone else deserted me, but the Lord stood with me. But he just didn't stand with Paul. Notice what it says. He strengthened me. Now listen, that might not get you excited right away. But let me tell you what that means in the original language. It literally means to infuse with power. (laughs) I love that, man. Right? I mean, the only thing that I could think about is like um, these kids these days buy all these drinks that I don't understand. Um, They want that five-hour energy junk and all those bottles that cost two or three bucks. And I guess that's what it's doing for them, giving them more energy. My friends, listen to me. You know, the one that's going to sustain us through the hardest times is in us. (laughs) I mean, mean, Paul's like, look, I'm in this courtroom. I'm in front of the most powerful person in the known world. I've got all these people here looking at me and judging me. But the Lord was with me. He stood by me and he strengthened me. To do what? Stand there? Uh Uh-uh. Paul, quiet? Are you kidding me? Notice what it says. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And here's that scene. Paul before maybe even Nero, right? Before a tribunal. Before lots of witnesses. And he's telling us what happened. He says, the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me. Why? To stand there? No. To open his mouth. So that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. Might hear what? Poor pitiful me? Look at the condition I'm in. He probably stunk. Right? I mean, there's no telling what the dude looked like. And he's standing before all of these people... And he's got a message. Wouldn't it have been great to be there? Wouldn't you have liked to have been there? Man, what a scene that must have been. This man didn't keep his mouth closed. He opened it. He proclaimed the gospel of Christ. He defended the gospel. And you know what? He knew what it was going to cost him. You say, how do you know that? He already said it. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering time of my departure is at hand. He knew. He knew. He knew that he was about to be ushered into the presence of the Lord. And it's like, hey, I got one more time. 
And I just wonder if Paul had it in his mind what the Lord told him. Hey, look, you're going to stand before kings and authorities. I wonder if Paul's like, yeah, I am doing that right now. And you're standing with me and you're strengthening me. I'm excited. I don't know if you are, but I just like, whoo, what a scene. And that's what he says. That all the Gentiles might hear. Might hear what? The gospel. Guys, let's, let's get on board with this. There's a lot of things going on in our world. And a lot of what people would label uncertainties. But there is one certainty that I'm going to tell you right now. There is one way to God, and that's through Christ alone. That's it. And that's the message we need to be proclaiming. It's not about the temporal things that we cannot change. It is about the heavenly things that the Lord changes. See, he does all that. Whew. I wonder what the Lord's message would be to us if he was standing here today. Or Paul's message. You know what I think Paul would say? Keep preaching the gospel till you can't do it anymore. Then he says at the end of 17, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. <laughs> I re- you know, you read that, you're like, what in the world is the dude talking about? Don't you wish sometimes he'd just say, hey, look, this, I'm talking about a literal lion here, or I'm not. As I did some research and reading on this, um, Paul would have been exempt from the Colosseum. In the Colosseum, Nero would take Christians and others, and he would put uh, animal skins on them and throw them in the Colosseum, and there were lions in there, and there were other wild beasts, and they would just rip these believers and others apart. Could he be talking about that? Maybe. I don't think so, because as a Roman citizen, he would have been exempt from that. Could this be that he's talking about Nero himself or Satan? Maybe. He's certainly talking about a picture of danger, isn't he? Everybody wants an answer. I got one for you. It's Nero or Satan. I don't know. Or he's just given a picture of the fact that he was rescued from danger. I don't believe, based on history, that it would have been the Colosseum, but it might have been. But the bottom line is the Lord rescued him from danger. Why? So he could share the message. That's why. Well, this is about the Lord's faithfulness. I really, really like this quote by Max Anders, who probably, George might know him, but Dr. Hugh, I'm not sure how many would know him. How many of you know Max Anders? (laughs) Okay. He was a graduate of Dallas Seminary. He was the author of over 20 books. He edited Holman's Bible commentary. He pastored for a long period of time. This is what he wrote. Every demonstration, and I love this because it fits the context so well, of God's faithfulness to us is an opportunity for us to testify of him to others. Isn't that right? That is right. 
And we've done this before, where I've said, hey, look, let's stand up and testify to the faithfulness of God. And all of us stand up and we testify, God's faithful, God's faithful, God's faithful. Can I encourage us to do it more? Is that possible? That we would do it more. That on Facebook, we would write things like, God is faithful. He's ever faithful. And this is the way he's shown that in my life. That'll blow your audience away. I might even put a thumbs up to that. I do read Facebook. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord that we serve is a faithful God. Paul points that out in this section. He was faithful to him in in a most difficult time. Charles Spurgeon tells the story of his grandfather James and the faithfulness of the Lord. James had a large family with very little income. However, he would not give up his call to preach. (laughs) He was like, "Eh, it's about the money. It's about what the Lord has called me to do. He's called me to preach the gospel. And one day the cow on which the family relied for milk for the children suddenly died. James' wife was greatly concerned, but he said to her, that's what he said to his wife, and this is a great example of leading in the home. God said he would provide, and I believe he could send us 50 cows if he wanted to. On that same day, a group of men met in London, a group James Spurgeon did not even know. They were a group of men that met to help the needs of poor pastors and their families. As they put the list together of those they would help, they came to the end of the list, and James Spurgeon wasn't on the list, but one man put his hand up and said, hey, I think we ought to give this month to James Spurgeon. There were only five pounds left, and he said, let's give him the last five pounds. And another man raised his hand, and said, no, I want to add to that, and he gave him five more pounds. And another man said, no, I want to give him five more. And by the time it was all said and done, there was 20 pounds. They sent by mail to James Spurgeon the 20 pounds. You know what his response was? The Lord is faithful. Isn't the Lord faithful? I had a wonderful time studying this. Third, he talks about the Lord's salvation in this section. Verse 18. That's what he says. The Lord will rescue me from every evil Deed. That word there means to bring through. Right? So he'll bring me through. He didn't say that he would keep him out of it. I mean, there were a lot of things that Paul suffered, true. But who was always with him? The Lord. So the picture here is of bringing someone through. The Lord will bring me through, he says, from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And you're you're thinking in the context of the passage, this is so incredible. To him be the glory and the glory forever. Amen. And he's about to have his head chopped off. Are you kidding me? But listen, Paul Paul had such a perspective of his life and of eternity. This phrase here will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom, coupled with the phrase will rescue me as a picture of a battlefield. And on this battlefield lays one who is injured who can't get up, 
who can't move, who can't help himself. And the picture is of another who comes to his rescue and picks him up and takes him off the battlefield and ushers him to safety. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That's the picture, my friends. Listen to me. We're on the battlefield. And we're being beat up. I got good news for you. The Lord is going to rescue us. Listen. And not deliver us someplace. He's going to rescue us to deliver us to his presence. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Does it get better than that? He says the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. And will bring me safely to his heavenly home. His heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You ready to be ushered? See, that's something that has to be considered. Are you ready to be ushered off the battlefield? Are you one that's not even in the battle? You're just sitting there going, man, this is a bunch of nonsense. You know, I'm a Christian. This this whole thing of, of suffering, man, I don't know about all that. Christian life. The Bible tells us the godly in Christ will what? Suffer. So he's going to, listen, I love this picture. He's going to rescue me off the battlefield, just like he did the Apostle Paul, and he's going to usher me into his presence. No wonder he says to him, be the glory forever and ever, amen. Rome doesn't win in this. That's what he's saying. Rome doesn't get the victory. My Lord gets the victory. That's what he's saying. John Walford, in commenting on this, said, Paul saw his death not as victory for Rome, but as a rescue of the Lord. (laughs) Isn't that good stuff? Despite every evil attack, he had complete confidence that the Lord would bring him safely to heaven. Do you have that confidence? Do you know that you know that you know that one day you're going to be ushered into the presence of the Lord? I got some extra stuff. This is like extra points in football, right? In football, I know you know this, but for a touchdown, you get six points. You knew that, right? And and then there's the extra point, and that counts as one. If you go for two, it counts as two. They should have never done that. That's a whole other subject. It has nothing to do with this. But there are some additional things about salvation beyond initial salvation that we need to understand. There are really three tenses as it relates to salvation. I just want to give these to you. By the way, if you're scrambling to take notes, I'm going to put all the notes on the website tomorrow, so you'll be all right. The three tenses of salvation in Scripture, and all these are very, very critical for us to understand. In Scripture, it says we have been saved from the penalty of sin. You enjoy that? You like that? You're on board with that? I'm on board with that. You're on board with that? (laughs) I'm on board with that. Praise God. I've been justified, I've been declared righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. I've been clothed with his righteousness so that when, and this is a beautiful picture, I learned this when I was in school years ago, so that when he sees Thad Blunt, he sees the righteousness of his son covered over me. That's good stuff. I've been saved from the penalty of sin. And notice, secondly, we are being saved from the power of sin. 
Guys, we, there's victory there. There's so many Christians, I think, at times that are just content with living and being defeated. So what's the key to that? Having victory over sin. The key to that is a daily surrender. Daily saying, Lord, I want your spirit to control me today. Why? Well, I think that, and I don't have this in my notes, but I do think that there's a reason that we should do that, and that's because the flesh is weak. Paul says it in Galatians 5. He says, walk by the Spirit. Why? So that you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. What are we prone to? Satisfaction of self. Wake up in the morning and say, well, it's about me today, and I want this, 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 and this. And so we have to get up and we have to say, Lord, we need you to control us today. And then thirdly, we will be saved from the presence of sin. How do we imagine that? I can't imagine that, right? Because sin's everywhere. It's just all over the place, right? I sin. You sin. I hope that's not offensive to you, but that's the reality of it, right? The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. I can't imagine being absent from that, but I look forward to that. A.W. Pink, in writing, about this, uh, in writing about this particular section, or this particular point, he says, The fact is that the great majority of professing Christians fail to see salvation as one of the most comprehensive terms in all of Scripture. They have narrowed the meaning and scope of salvation to a single phase of the new birth. Every Christian has been saved, is now being saved, and will yet be saved. Hallelujah. 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 Well, we come to the last time the phrase is used. And it's down in verse 22. And Paul speaks about the Lord's presence. What's interesting and what your Bible does not tell you is that that word your there, the Lord be with your spirit, that's singular. He's got a specific message here for Timothy. The Lord be with your spirit. It's like a prayer. The Lord be with your spirit. And then he says grace be with you. And that you there is plural. And the you there, I believe, not only speaks about Timothy, but also about the church at Ephesus. How many of you you this morning enjoy the fact that the Lord is ever-present with us? You like that? You like the fact that the Bible tells us that He is always with us? He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We're reminded about this truth in Scripture in different places, and I just wanted to give you a couple of examples. In the Old Testament... When Moses addresses Israel and Joshua, this is what he says to Israel in verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He goes before you. (laughs) He's with you. He won't fail you or forsake you. He can't. It's against his character. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Look at verse 8. In this to Joshua, he says, The Lord himself 
goes before you and will be with you. Imagine the comfort that this was designed to give Joshua, who was to take Moses' place. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do, uh, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So when you read this last verse in this text, there's meaning there for Timothy. Hey, the Lord be with your spirit. You're not walking in this alone. You're not in this alone, right? People in the last year and a half, I think, have struggled with this, maybe, this issue. Hey, we don't walk alone. We just sang that today. We don't walk alone. The Lord walks with us. He's ever-present with us. And by the way, because he's ever-present with us, there's no reason to fear. None whatsoever for the believer. Now, I understand there is. I understand that happens. But the Lord does not want us to fear. And then the verse probably that we know pretty well. I don't know if we know the context very well. But Hebrews chapter 13. Here in this section he's talking about provision. And not having in your life the love of money. He says in verse 5 of chapter 13. He tells these believers keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. Is that all right? <laughs> Is that all right in the United States? Be content with what you have. I think there's probably been in the last 20 years this battle raging in some people. And the battle is having the things of the world and concentrating on those things or concentrating on the eternal things. The Lord's promised to meet our needs, guys. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Can you imagine what this particular phrase for Timothy would have meant to him? He wasn't going to walk alone. The Lord was going to be with him. I like what C.H. Spurgeon says about this issue of the promises of God and what he said. He says, whatever God has said, this, isn't this a great line? Whatever God has said to any one saint, he has said to all. Isn't that good stuff? <laughs> See, you not know, just isolated. Well, this is for Jim, and this is for Kevin, right? This is for every believer. When he opens a well for one, it is that all may drink. How easy it is, how easy it must be for a man to be content when he knows that God has promised to be with him in all circumstances and at all times. So in this last year and a half, we have not walked alone. We, we, we can't buy into the lie of fear. We have to trust in the Lord. That's the wisdom of Solomon. What does he say? Trust in the Lord with some of your heart or all of your heart? All of it. No matter the circumstance. And in the context of 2 Timothy, can you imagine what it have been, must have been like for Paul at times in that Mamertine prison to be down in that, that, that hole that he was in that stunk, where he was chained, where he knew this was the end of the road. And you don't see in his life complaints. He doesn't go, man, Lord, I just can't believe this. 
Why have you left me in this situation? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, a question and a couple of comments and I'm done. How have we responded to this amazing promise? How have we responded? That the Lord will never leave us, he'll never forsake us. I don't know how many times you've sat with someone in the setting of like death in their final words, some of the final things that they've said. But in 30 years, I've sat with quite a few people. And there have been some things said that I thought were interesting and things said that kind of caused a little bit of confusion on my part. But I won't forget the final words of my mom. It's hard to believe that it's coming on six years that she'll be with the Lord. But it is. Mom's final words to me that I remember were, I love you, I love you, I love you. That was awesome. It's just awesome. To, I, mean, with, with, I mean, she didn't have much energy at that point, and she just looked up at me, and she said, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I'm just like, oh. You know what's so awesome about that night? When they came to take my mom's body away, and uh, there was just one guy. And he said, uh, now let's look at that. I, I don't, and he was being respectful, I understand that. He said, I, I don't want you to have to help me with that. I said, that's no problem. I said, this is just her shell. She's not here. He looked at me like I was like crazy. I said, no, my mom's with the Lord. This is just a shell. One day I'm going to see my mom again. And I, and I know it. And so I don't grieve like those without hope. Can you imagine what it is to grieve without hope? But there were other things my mom said, and I'll leave you with these. These were in the same time frame. She said, son, I'm looking forward to seeing my Lord. That's nice to hear. And then she said, after that, she said, I'll see my Lord soon. You know, guys, when I came to this section of Scripture, I was like, Lord, I'm not sure what you're going to do with this. I don't know, but I'm teachable. So as I'm reading through it and I'm looking through it, and I'm like, wow. Because I remember Bible study methods. One of my professors in here actually taught me Bible study methods one class of it. You know what they used to tell us? Look for words that are repeated and phrases that are repeated. And so as I was reading through this and I was like, hey, 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 time out. <laughs> we got something here. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Two questions, then we'll pray. How much time do we talk about the Lord in our day? And what will we say if we have opportunities to speak 
before the Lord takes us home. Let's pray together. Man, Lord, this, this passage is so rich. I probably could talk about it all day long. I don't know if these guys will hang out that long, though. But you, my heart's so full of just how you work and just just who you are and the things that that we have here just by way of illustration and, and Paul's life. and Lord, he knew you were with him every moment. He knew you wouldn't leave him. He knew you wouldn't forsake him. <laughs> he stood at that place in that form, wherever he was, and he defended you. He spoke for you. Lord, I love his attitude about the people that served along with him. While they deserted him, he said, may it not be counted against them. Because the beam of seat judgment's real. It's coming. It will be judged. For the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Paul knew that. And so Paul declared it. Don't hold it against their account. Lord, when I come to this passage, I'm amazed at his attitude of how he dealt with Alexander. Because, you know, when people are in our face or in our space, it's difficult. Lord, give us this attitude he have, he had. Help us to just drop it off with you. Help us to pray through the responses that we have. Lord, I just want to close by thanking you for his, just his... Um, I mean, it had to be exhilaration, Lord, just knowing that you were going to take him off the battlefield, that Rome wasn't going to get the victory, but that you had already won the victory, and you were going to usher him into your presence. Lord, help us to have that attitude, that no matter what we face in this life, that we know, Lord, that we can depend on you, because great is your faithfulness. And I pray that we know without a doubt when we leave this place today that we belong to you. Help us, Lord, to live like we have hope. Help us to just radiate that in our lives, that people would see, Lord, that there, hey, look, there's a lot that we have to be thankful for. Death has been defeated. Thank you, Lord, for that. Help us to represent you well this week as you give us opportunity. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote a song several years back. As a matter of fact, it was one of the first songs that he did. And he was asked the question, he said, if you had just one more song to sing, what would that song be? And uh, if you know about Stephen Curtis Chapman, he's a person who is acquainted with a lot of grief in the sense that he and his wife lost their uh, very, very young child, I think at the age of two or something like that, a freak accident. And here, uh, here is a man who is writing and serving, serving the Lord, and, and this happened to him. But how the Lord used that through the years has just been phenomenal. 
is, has carried through all the way um, to today, and, and that was probably 20-something years ago that happened. But Stephen Curtis Chapman said this, and he used it simply something like this. He said that if I only had enough breath left in me to sing one song, I would sing this song, My Redeemer is Faithful and True. So um, I kind of wondered if Paul would have said somewhat the same thing because he's, you know, has faced with a lot of adversity in his life, but he could always claim that God was faithful and true. Listen to the words as I sing. As I look back on the road of travel, I see so many times he's carried me through. And if there's one thing that I've learned in this life, my Redeemer is faithful and true. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything he has said he will do. And every morning his mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. My heart rejoices when I read the promise. There is a place that I preparing for you I know someday I'll see my Lord face to face cause my Redeemer is faithful and true my Redeemer is faithful and true everything he has said he will do and every morning his mercies are new My Redeemer is faithful and true. And in every situation, He has proved His love for me. When I lack the understanding, He gives more grace to me. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything He has said He will do. And every morning His mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. My Jesus is faithful and true. is faithful and true. Amen? I need to get you to stand up again and say hallelujah. All right. Um, just want to make a couple of announcements before we dismiss today. I want to remind you about our uh, series coming up uh, next week. Uh, John Burnett will be on, and these guys are great teachers. Looking forward to listening to them and sitting down with you guys and, 
and being taught by the Spirit of the Lord. And so you come prepared uh, next Sunday as we begin this series of uh, doing life together, handling extraordinary days. And uh, that will continue through the month of August. And uh, then we'll start another series beginning in September. Wanted you to also note, you have your little white sheet, right? You guys have your little white sheet. You were given a white sheet. All I'm doing is reading from the white sheet. Um, so just wanted to point out some things, though, that were on the horizon, okay? Uh, the Joy Club will go to um, Country Kitchen and to Peach Park on Thursday. That's right, Thursday. Uh, this Thursday, I meet at the church at 10 o'clock in the morning. Dave Monso and them, is that their restaurant? I saw Dave this last week. He's a guy that I went to school with. He was one of the guys responsible for getting me to uh, Southeastern Bible College. And he was a counselor of mine at Camp Pearl. He says I was awful, but I doubt that. Um, so come Thursday, if you're interested in going to Country Kitchen and Peach Park, they'll meet here at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, also, just uh, a couple more things, actually three more things. If you want to uh, learn more about uh, Grace Church, um, I would encourage you to sign up for um, that New to Grace class, which is going to be on the 22nd of uh, August. It'll be right after a church on that Sunday. So there's a sign-up sheet as you go out the doors on the right side. We'd love for you to sign up uh, for that. And then uh, August the 3rd, which is right around the corner, there'll be a shrimp boil. A shrimp boil. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, it'll be at 6.30. This is for the men. And in very small print, someone pointed out to me this morning, and this is a shame, this had to be put in there, chicken fingers will also be available. <laughs> I would encourage you to pray about that before you come. Um, the shrimp is fantastic. Looking forward to that time together as men. I think Jerry encouraged me, hey, get here early. Let's do some fellowshipping. And because uh, it'll take a little bit for the shrimp to, to cook. So, and for the chicken fingers. Goodness gracious. But anyway, come. Uh, August 3rd, there's a sign-up out in the fellowship hall. Make sure you, you take advantage of that. And also, I want to remind you that today is the last Sunday um, for the deacon elder selection. So if you have not had an opportunity to, to fill that out and to put it in the boxes, you'll see them marked out in the fellowship hall. Okay, and there, there's little boxes, and you just put your ballots down in there, and we'll take care of those. So, All right, I think that's it. Everybody want to just stand up? One more time. I want you to repeat after me. I'm going to say this. Now, don't repeat right the second, but I'm going to say it in just a minute again. If you're a believer, you'll be able to say this, right? Hallelujah. I will be with the Lord. Ready? So, on the count of three, here we go. What? Well, no, here we go. <laughs> Hallelujah, I will be with the Lord. Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed.